Well, it's great. <clears throat> it's great to be with you once again here at Emmanuel Baptist. Looks like a full house. Exciting to see the growth and and knowing also that. Can you hear me? Okay, is this on here? I believe so. Uh, knowing that this is a holiday weekend, four-day weekend, so this is really impressive. In fact, just to say that um, we had expected a very small gathering also in the small group seminar, the life group seminar yesterday, but there was a good group. So it's great to see the growth and what's happening here. Thanks for having me again. Uh, And I'd just like to say a word of prayer once again before the message. Lord, I pray that you would anoint your word, that you would bless um, me, your servant, and encourage the church here. Lord, we want to hear from you. I want to be an instrument for your glory and for your honor. In Jesus' name, amen. Once again, it's great to be here. Um, I was born and raised in Long Beach, California. My mom still lives in the same house where I was born. She's, uh, gosh, she couldn't be 87. I want to say 86. But she, uh, my dad died three years ago and accepted Jesus five days before he died. So his mother was the first one to be saved in our family, and then my older brother Jay, then I got saved, my younger brother, younger sister, and then my mom, and then my dad got saved at the very end. So it's, it's great to, to know that my dad is in heaven, and um, we were missionaries in Ecuador for 11 years, and then in uh, 2001, the mission, the Christian Missionary Alliance, sent the missionaries uh, to various places, because the National Church was strong, and we uh, moved to Marino Valley to plant a church and make that sort of our home base as I travel and coach pastors and so forth. Um, I'm so glad to have Solis with me today. Um, We just started experiencing the we just started experiencing the emptiness three weeks ago. Wow! So that that was just tough on me on Thursday. I'm thinking, wow, the kids are not going to be here now. And Solis had already experienced that for. About two and a half weeks while I was traveling, but somehow it just it just st- struck me. So pray for me, pray for us. Um, we are very excited that our children are following the Lord. The, the youngest is uh, in Mexico for five months with YWAM, and so she will actually be coming back to our house in March. And then the oldest just graduated from Biola, and the uh, second oldest, Nicole, is at Biola as well. I know that some of you are CP uh, Cal Baptist people, others APU. Well, we kind of are more Biola, and it's good though. It's just all good. That's Toby, by the way, our dog. I need to present him. Um, anyway, so I was speaking in Fort Worth about five years ago now, 2008, and the pastor just said, Joel, we hear a lot of sermons here, and you know, I know you could just do a normal exegetical sermon, but he said, when we have guest speakers speak at our church, we like them to talk about the passions, the priorities of their life, lives. And so, Joel, could you just speak about the values that are most important to you in a sermon form? And so that Sunday in 2008, I talked about those priorities, those things that were important to me. And I'm going to give you that message today. Um, I've refined it since then, but it's important to me. These are the the values that are important to me, the priorities. Um, Basically, it worked perfectly the first service. Come on, what's happening here? Okay, let me just... No? Huh. 
Oh, well. Oh, there we go. Okay, super. Yeah, the three circles of life. Uh, God, I'll, I'll give three sub-points here. I'm going to go uh, more quickly here and then quickly here. So I'm going to concentrate here, but the three circles of, of life. <clears throat> okay, this, this should be, uh, no, because everything's good here. Oh, for technology. Um, but anyway, why don't I just, when I go like this, that means change slides. Okay. Maybe it's not. Can you change it back there? Okay. See, he said, hold on. Um, we need to take an offering. <laughs> Candy. Uh, no, okay. Alrighty. Uh, so, what would Paul have done if there wasn't PowerPoint? What would Jesus have done without PowerPoint? You know, all, all I need, I could probably do this without PowerPoint. In fact, why don't I just get my, I just want to make sure that my notes sync, and we don't even need PowerPoint here, but let me just actually get my technology. Let me just uh, open it up to the sermon. Yeah, there we go. Okay. Um, there we go. Okay, family. I have one wife. No, I've just already done that. Okay. Now, first circle, the devotional time. This is point A under the first circle. You know, as I think of the priorities in my life, I think the first thing is the devotional time, is spending time with God. And this, to me, has been a priority. Um, I have a book called Appointment with the King, it wasn't a bestseller. It didn't sell more copies in Rick Warren's Purpose Driven Life. I wanted it to, but it did not. But still, it's my most important book because it speaks of an appointment with the king. Just think, if President Obama asked you to have an appointment with him, would you be there on time? <laughs> Let's just say President Bush asked you, would you be there on time? Okay, you get the idea that an appointment with the king, you know, God's asking us to spend time with him each day. And he says, would you be there? Would you spend time with me? And I love the verse in Matthew chapter 6, verse 6, that says, but when you pray, go into your room. And the word room there is aposento, which referred to the Old Testament room where the treasures were stored. And many commentators feel like there's a, a, a correlation there between treasures and spending time with God. And this says, close the door. Um, close the door to the noise. You know, come so you can hear God's voice. And then pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And notice that Jesus, when you pray, you know, I do believe that we need to pray without ceasing during the day when we're on the freeway, especially when we're on the freeway, when we're, you know, at school, when, you know, whatever. But there is, but many Christians substitute that for the quiet time. And I believe that we need to have a daily time where we're reading the word, praying, worshiping. And it shouldn't be a drudgery. You know, I tell people, do what makes you 
closest to God. Do, if you like to worship, well then do a lot of worship. If you like to journal, journal. I think the word needs to be central. But, but I think you need to do in your quiet time what you like to do so that it's a joy. Because really the quiet time is to get us closer to God, is to know Him and to make Him known. So that's important there, the, the quiet time. And then the, the second thing under point A is the sovereignty of God. This has been a theme that's been so important in my life, not just as a theological concept, but, but also as something that's very practical, personal. Scripture says in Psalm 115.3, Our God is in heaven. He does whatever pleases Him. You know, our God that made the universe. You know, you guys are out here in, in uh, Ridgecrest. Some of you working on, on the base here. You know, being able to peer out in space, uh, seeing some of those satellites. And, you know, I just love to meditate on this God who made the universe, the galaxies and beyond. This God is the God that we serve. You know, He's sovereign over time and space. And, 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 and we can trust in Him for our daily lives. Our God is in heaven. He does whatever pleases Him. Uh, scripture says He's over nature, the elements, the rain, the snow, and the heat. I live in Moreno Valley. It doesn't get as hot as here. But He's in control of all things. And, and praise God for the rain, too. He's in control of that. We need the rain. The animals. The Bible says that a sparrow will not fall to the ground without your heavenly Father knowing about it. He knows the very hairs of our head or the lack of them. Are you hearing me? Uh, he knows all things. And, you know, over the governments and nations, you know, over the governments that are right now, uh, when Paul was writing in Romans chapter 13, Nero was um, over the Roman government. He says, submit. To your governments. You know, a lot of people have a hard time with the government, but the Bible says we need to pray for those who are there because God is sovereign over all. And God commands us to do that in 1 Timothy. Are you praying for your, the present government? Are you praying for, for God to, um, to do His will, to be sovereign over all? Case of Nebuchadnezzar I have down here, Daniel 34, 35. I'm just reading that now uh, in Jeremiah uh, well, in, in the book of Jeremiah, as I go through my devotions, uh, that God used Nebuchadnezzar as an instrument. And then he used the nation of Babylon as his instrument. Uh, and he told the nation Israel that I, that, that I am the one that controls uh, the nations. We think of the case of Caesar Augustus. He thought he was so great, but God was using him as a puppet to uh, decree that census. And of course, God had a plan in having Jesus... Uh, be born in a particular place there. Um, and then we also see uh, the case of Cyrus. Um, here, the nation of Israel was, was under captivity, and then God raised up the, uh, the nation of, um, let's see, the Persians. And then he, he said, uh, to Cyrus, now I want you to tell the nation of Israel they'll go back in their land. And so God uses um, all people and all things. I think of over evil, um, over disasters, even the disasters, even the tough times, even over Satan himself. In Job, 
we read that Satan had to come before God before he could attack Job. And we can trust that even in those difficult times, those trials, that God is overall. Do you believe that? I mean, I believe in spiritual warfare. But some Christians believe there's a devil behind every tree. And they're always fearful. You know, I believe that God is over Satan, is over the demons. We can trust him. And and that just gives a certain rest, a certain peace. God is sovereign. Do you believe in God's sovereignty in your life? But it goes beyond that. Because it says in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, that we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God has before ordained that we should walk in them. Every aspect of your life, every step of your life is controlled by God. Do you believe that? Well, that has just given me a lot of peace because when I came back from Ecuador, you know, suddenly my world was just changed. And I was no longer a missionary. I'd been preparing for 15 years to be a missionary. And that was my life. We were there 11 years. Excuse me. And then suddenly we were back in, in California and, you know, I was coaching pastors and I wasn't doing a very good job. Some of the pastors were leaving. I didn't know how to coach pastors. They got tired of me telling them what to do. <laughs> and I learned that a coach had to listen and to serve and so on and so forth. And I was really struggling with this change. And many of you right now are going through some revolutionary changes in your life. But you know, what gave me peace was the fact that God is in control. He is sovereign. He is sovereign over the tough times. He is sovereign over the good times. He is sovereign over everything. And the sovereignty of God has been just a key element of my life. I'm going to be writing, I believe, three books on the sovereignty of God in the future. And you know, I already have the draft copies. I have like 470,000 words. A normal book has about 60,000 words, 50,000. I have 470 because I'm just journaling all the time in my devotional time about God's sovereignty. Ah, God's sovereignty. Ah, I can rest. You know, and it's it's true. He is over all. We can rest in Him. We can trust in Him. He is the God of all flesh. He is the God of the universe. He is the God of our lives. Do you believe that? Scripture even says that He's over our physical characteristics. Some of you might not like the way you look. He's made you just like He wanted you. He's over all things. And He loves you. And you're special. And we can trust in Him. Our abilities. Again, I talked about the sparrows. Not a sparrow will fall to the ground without your Heavenly Father knowing about the hairs of your head. Our election is His disciples. All things, the Bible says. And the Bible says that all things work together for good to those that love God, to those who are called according to His purpose. We can have confidence that God is controlling all things. Praise the Lord. Can I hear one amen? Amen. The sovereignty of God. So first of all, our quiet time, our devotional time. Secondly, the sovereignty, sovereignty of God. And then the third thing that God has shown me under the first circle is rest. That we need to rest. We oftentimes know how to work, and we're very good as North Americans. We know how to work. But do we know how to rest? How are you doing with your quiet time? How are you, excuse me, not your quiet time, your day off. How are you doing with your vacations? Do you take a regular vacation time? I think the thing that God has really been showing me for quite a while, is to take a full day off. 
to take a 24-hour day where I'm not doing any work, where I'm resting my body. And I'm finding that I'm much more productive when I do that. But this has been a journey for me because oftentimes I've gone to God and says, God, you know, you know, I, I want to do a little bit more. And, you know, can I just kind of <clears throat> do what I think I need to do on my day off? And God has often come back and said, Joel, I'm more concerned about you and your rest than what you can do for me. I want you to rest. I want you to take that day off. And I think that there are principles in Scripture. Now, by the way, I think we can become legalistic about this. I don't believe it's just one day. In fact, Sunday is terrible for pastors. That's not a good day to take off. But I believe that (laughs) the Bible says that he made the earth in six days. Then one day he rested. The seventh day he rested. I think there's a principle there that will actually be more productive in getting things done, if we can truly come away and rest. And this has just been so critical in my own life. Um, I I take one day a week off, and and I plan for that. I know know, the the four days that I'm going to take off the month before, so I kind of have it mapped out each day um, of the four weeks of that month. And my wife and I talk about it to make sure those days are, are off, are taken off. And my wife and I have a code that if we start talking about things that produce anxiety, in other words, don't talk about cells on that day. I don't want to talk about anything that that has to do with my work, small groups, life groups, whatever. I I just want to talk about things that bring rest, no anxiety. On that day, I don't answer the phone. I don't answer my email. Now, I do take out the trash. I do wash the dishes. In other words, it's not a, don't get legalistic about it. But the bottom, just rest. I like to um, get on Netflix and watch uh, the uh, kind of the biographies. I love just biographies. The things that just allow me to space out and just enjoy, you know. You know, and I don't know what you like, but, but what brings you rest? That's very important. Now, my goal on my day off is to sleep. 17 hours. Now, not on my day off. That is the night before the day off starts and the, the night afterwards. Okay, so be in between. Okay, so, so that's kind of my goal. I, don't, I personally don't drink coffee on my day off just because I really want to sleep. Are you hearing me? So I don't know what works for you, but I'll tell you, this has just really been important to me to be able to rest and to know that then I can get these batteries recharged and be ready to go. I just talked to a pastor in Santo Domingo, and he was, he's a great pastor, but I noticed that he just was working all the time, and I said, you know, you need to take a day off, because I think you'll be more productive if you'll rest one day. Not everyone listens. I remember there was a um, pastoral team in my house a few years ago, uh, up there from Santa Maria area, you know, the wine country up there. And they were in my house and um, great pastoral couple. They were, they were doing a great job up there. But the, the pastor, the head pastor was saying, you know, I have a gift of counseling and I'm on the phone a lot and, and people are calling me. And so I just challenged him. I said, well, you know, that's wonderful. But I think one day a week you should just take off because I think you'll do a better job of counseling um, those people if you take a day to rest. He said, no way. I can't do that. They need me. I need to be available 24-7. 
you know, I realized that this was a, a concern. I mean, he was resisting me, so I just let it go. He's about 40, 42. Two years later, he died. Now, I'm not sure if it was out of exhaustion. I don't know. And the fact is, he's resting in heaven right now. I mean, thank God he's in heaven. Praise God he knew Jesus. So that's wonderful. But my point is, is that we're in a marathon. And God wants us to be fruitful right here. And I would just challenge you, take that day off. This has been a priority in my own life that I would really challenge you to do. What about vacations? Are you taking consistent vacations? You might get one week off. You might get two weeks. You might get three weeks. My goal is to take three weeks off during the year and to truly not do any work on those, those three weeks. And by the way, I'm a greenhorn in this area because this is my first year that I've taken vacations where I have not done any work on the vacation. Usually I bring my computer, I do my emails in the morning while the kids are sleeping and all that. But I was convicted, I was in Brazil and um, a pastor's wife said, Hey Joel, could you give some counsel to my husband? Because when we take vacations... He's always visiting churches, preaching, and he goes, and she said, you know, I just don't really, we don't take vacations. Could you talk to my husband? And we, I'm really good friends with this couple, so, you know, we were just kind of laughing about it. And I, I really couldn't say anything to him, because I was doing the same thing. And then I was talking on the phone to another pastor while I was coaching, and he said, you know, I just got back from my vacations. It was wonderful. No work. I'm refreshed, and I realized God's talking to me. I need to take heed to this. I need to have a true vacation time. And so anyway, this year, we have started our, uh, you know, what I want to commit to, Celise Comiskey, into the future is taking those, those weeks off where truly, you know, I am not doing any work. And so this is important. Are you able to rest well? You most likely can work well, but can you rest well? And so point A, devotional time, spending time with God. Point B, is the sovereignty of God, and then rest. That's circle number one. But circle number two is also very important. And that's family. 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 You know, before work, before ministry, your first priority is family. I'm talking about your wife, your family, kids, if you're a child, your parents. Ephesians chapter 5, of course, verse 22 says, Submit to one another. And then it talks about the husband's loving, sacrificing for the wife, the wife respecting, submitting to the husband. And then it talks about children, parent relationships, employee, employer. And a while ago I was in a Promise Keeper rally and John Maxwell was speaking. And one thing he said there that, that really stuck with me was, was this. Success is having those closest to you love and respect you the most. Success is having those closest to you love and respect you the most. And I kind of thought, oh, that's John Maxwell. He has a quote for everything. And I just, I brushed it off. But you know, the more I go in life, I realize that this is so true. You know, you don't know me. I come here, you know, you might buy a book or whatever. But my wife knows me. 
She knows my dark side. She knows when I get angry. She knows how, how pure my Christianity is. She knows if I'm really maturing in the faith. We can come to church and hear a message and sit with our ties on. But you know, those closest to you know if you're walking with God. And it is true, success in life is having those closest to you love and respect you the most. Are you a hero in your home? Are you a hero with your children? Are those the people that say, wow, my dad is incredible. My mom, you know, whatever. You might make a lot of money and be a successful engineer or teacher or banker or minister, but really are you a success at home? This is what true success is. This is where our Christianity needs to be seen. You know, I fly around the country and I talk with so many pastors and, you know, oftentimes when you're talking with them, it comes out that their kids are not following the Lord at all. And you kind of wonder, well, you know, where did ministry become number one? And I know things happen in life. I'm not judging anybody here. But what I am saying is that my prayer is that all of our priorities would be with our, our spouses, number one, and then our children. Uh, and that that's where our Christianity was shine. Before our work, before we make money, before we go out and write books or coach pastors or whatever, but that really we would be able to, to raise up godly children. Let me, let me ask you, Father, are you the priest of your home? Are you having that family altar? Is that your priority? Are you spending your vacations with the kids? They want you more than they want the money. Yes, we have to provide and thank God for, for that. But... Success is having those closest to you love and respect you the most. This is the second priority before anything else. And ministry and, and, and work needs to come after that. That's number three, really, on, on, the, um, on the priority list. Now, the third thing. Oh, here, I guess the PowerPoint came back on. Great. Okay, we're, not, we're on number three now. Discipleship. Receive discipleship in a life group. You know, Acts chapter 5, verse 42, talks about house-to-house celebration. In Matthew 28, Jesus make disciples. Receive discipleship. You know that all of the New Testament that you're reading reading today was written to house churches. You know, this right here is strange. This is different. This this came around in the day of Luther. But the, the Bible is written to house churches, people in small groups. And my study of the New Testament was about groups about 10 to 20. The house, oftentimes we could call them apartment churches. Uh, those who have studied that, that land in that time say that uh, Rome, Antioch, Ephesus was more populated than Calcutta. Oftentimes they were, they were in apartments and, and there were circles reading the New Testament. Jesus had 12. In the New Testament, house churches were about 10 to 20. And this is where they could actually practice the gifts. They could be disciples. Remember, when Jesus says, go and make disciples, he was speaking to his disciples in a small group that he had walked with for three years. And so he's saying, make disciples in a group, basically, like I have done with you. Because in a group, we learn community. We learn how to deal with conflict. We learn the one another's. You know, there's almost a hundred references to the one another's. That means you're with other people, working through conflict, community, all of that stuff. Are you receiving discipleship in a life group? Minister as a disciple in a life group. 
That's where you get to use your gifts and you become a minister. You know, on church on Sunday, I'm preaching. We had worship. That's great. But in a life group, everyone is the minister. Everyone is the priest. And that's how we grow as we use our gift. And then disciple someone else in a life group. And that's the process that God uses. I believe that that's how we become disciples in those small groups. Remember Jethro and Moses, groups of 10. Jesus, 12. Early church, uh, 10 to 20. Now, I believe we need to come together on Sunday, too, and hear a word. And I believe that, that, in that we see that in the New Testament when they met all together, when the house churches came together. So I do believe that. But, but just remember that this is where we truly become disciples. So we've talked about three circles here. Walk with God. Our ministry to our family. And then becoming a disciple in a life group. I don't know exactly how God is speaking to you. My prayer is that you would be able to take these words and apply it to your particular situation. And I would just be an instrument here. Maybe one thing that I have said has really applied to your life. And my prayer is that you'd be able to take that, run with it, and that God would transform you in the process. Let's pray together. Father, we just want to thank you today that we can know you, that we can serve you, that it's by grace that we are saved through faith, and that not of ourself, it is the gift of God. Father, we thank you for Jesus who died on the cross for our sins, who rose again, and who is coming again. Lord, I pray for Pastor Bill. I pray for the leadership of this church. I pray, O God, that you would continue to bless Emmanuel Baptist Church as it reaches out into its community. And if you're here today and you don't know Jesus Christ, I would just invite you to say a prayer like this. Say, Jesus, I need you. I believe you died on the cross for my sins and rose again. I want to accept you into my heart. I want to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Make me your child. And Jesus has come in your heart if you've prayed that prayer in your heart. And Jesus, come in and just tell someone else that you've done that. Because it is by grace. It's not, you're not saved by baptism. You're not saved by something else. You're saved by putting your faith in Christ. But the Bible also says you need to, to not be ashamed of that faith. And so I would just invite you after the service to talk with somebody. If you are a first-time believer and you prayed that prayer to receive Jesus... In fact, I will be in back by the book table and feel free to come up to me as well to talk to me. And maybe you're here today and, and you need to take that day off or you need to have that quiet time or you need to be in a life group or you need to be that minister in your home and to prioritize your family. My prayer is that you would just ask the Holy Spirit to apply that into your heart and that you would be transformed as a result of God's word. Not my words, but God's word. And that you would be able to become more like Jesus as a result. Lord, we thank you today that you have us here to hear your word. We thank you for the inerrant word of God. And I pray that, that you would take what's true from scripture. And you would be able to apply it to our lives. We thank you, we praise you, in Jesus' name, amen. And by the way, if there's somebody that would like to talk to me, if you've accepted Jesus, or if God has spoken to you, 
Uh, my wife and I will be back in the back by the table. And feel free to come up with, to us. And if you need prayer, we can go into a side room and pray.